0: If you've ever had an argument with your children, whether they've been teenagers or adults or even beyond, uh, you know, young adult, you know that it can be an extremely tense situation. Especially when, young, when old, older kids and older uh, uh, young adults tend to be able to start to reason and start to make up their own excuses for whatever misbehavior they tend to do. It can be an extremely tense time. To call out your, uh, your significant other or call out uh, uh, someone you love from the things that they're doing incorrectly or doing that, that are bringing them uh, uh, hardship in their life um, is rarely received initially with like, oh, you're so right. I should totally change. Most of the time it's met with resistance. Most of the time it's met with uh, conflict. And most of the time it's met with a, a, a chilling silence. And so when I read these words today, they seem sort of uh, like how, how do we go, Jake, from arguing with our, uh, uh, our family members or something along those lines or people we love to this feeling that God has at the end of this particular book. I think we get there when we recognize that there's some context that we need to get to. We don't just get, open the Bible and go, oh, that's nice. We can't just pull out verses and just expect, well, that's just going to be for me today. There's context here. Zephaniah is a prophet who spoke these words to the country of Judah in the time uh, uh, of either also of religious reform, but also serious upheaval. History matters in this, to understand what he's saying here. In this particular passage, Josiah is the king of Judah, and he's been known, he was known for making these amazing religious reforms. The previous king Manasseh had just Laid waste to uh, Judah itself he had uh, allowed idolatry, he allowed major corruption to occur, he allowed people to to uh, the rich to oppress the poor uh, uh, to uh, to make uh, things tremendously worse for the marginalized. It was a major departure from the worship of God, and it showed, and the things that Israel and judah were were going uh, were enduring was because of these things that Manasseh had done. So Josiah comes in, and his reign's known for undoing those actions, removing alternative worship locations, refocusing the national attention back onto God. But this, uh, uh, what is important here is that sometimes while national leadership can be doing good things, it doesn't necessarily trickle down to everybody. And there were a good amount of people that were actually doing, still doing really rotten things. Like I said, this message was specifically given to Judah in the split kingdoms between Israel and Judah. But it's interesting that like I said, that though Josiah was making godly progress, not all not all were on board. Zephaniah calls out Judah's corruption and idolatry. And while the national policy was we worship God alone, everybody else was like, Yeah, but I really like worshiping this, you know, stone god over here or this god of fertility over there, and I really like, you know, my, my love feasts. I like going to those. So I get to have both. and, and yet God is speaking through Zephaniah, saying, "No, I'm sorry, that's not the way it works. You can't have it both ways. Zephaniah calls out judas's uh, Judah's political allegiances with their enemies, so they're they're in cahoots with the people who hate them and just because they like the power and they like the procedure that they're they're putting on them. But Zephaniah also calls out Judah's self-determination and lack of trust in God. So while all of these macro changes are occurring, it hasn't actually trickled down enough and changed the hearts and minds of Judah itself. But it's also interesting to recognize here that in the book of Zephaniah, that the role of judgment and redemption, the role that judgment and redemption play in the life of God's people. Like I said, this was written to the people of God. This isn't a blanket letter written to all people everywhere, in a sense. This had a specific point, a specific purpose in the life of God's people. In a sense, this was a message for those people to get their house in order. I'm also amazed at how much God invests in his people despite their inconsistent devotion to him. If you read the Old Testament, you find that, that God goes and saves the people out of Egypt, a people called to his own, takes them across the Red Sea, just decimates the, the major world power, uh, in there, leads them into the promised land through a giant pillar of cloud during the day and fire at night, provides for them Kentucky fried chicken and bread. For 40 years, they were not hungry whatsoever. Water's coming out of rocks. Major, uh, major things that are saying God is with you in this midst. And yet, this people continually melts down all of their riches, makes golden calves. Dance naked around, you know, big old poles in the mountains elsewhere. Aligns themselves with everybody and everything that is not God, and yet God is still there, going, "Why are you doing this?" Again, much in the same way that we deal with uh, uh, our our children who are growing up and working, helping them work through all of their foibles and bad mistakes. In spite of all the things we continue to do for them. Aren't we amazed at how much we still care and invest in them? Yet in the same way, God is doing the same thing for Israel and for Judah. And going, guys, he's still trying to get their attention. It's as if God is like going, I'm upholding my end of the deal. I'm still upholding my covenant. And I still choose you. I still love you. I still call you my own. And yet you are continually allowing all of my goodness to be poured into you. And like a sieve just dumps right out. I love that quote that I saw. It says, everything that God does for them is still doing for them, is thrown into a sieve. Just out, gone. But God continues to difficult means to get their attention. Judgment is basically righteous punishment. He's not doing it to be capricious. And I'll get to that shortly. But because Judah has remained unaffected by the love and goodness of God, judgment, whether ecological or political or military, is necessary. We all know that when we have to deal with our own children at times, or people that we are in relationship with, sometimes uh, we have to uh, act in a way that seems unbenevolent to them in order to get them to turn around and behave appropriately again. Judgment here serves as a means to an end. It's a process of forcibly tearing down the idolatrous structures that Judah had and laying bare their foundations. And he's allowing them to become undone completely in order that they might see the foundation of God's love that they are actually living under. For many, um, especially Israel and Judah, this was the only way to get through. Demolition and struggle expose them and enables their return. But the flip side to God's uh, use of judgment here is his equal dedication to restoration. And that's where we come to today in today's passage. We have Zephaniah say, get your stuff together. Stop doing the, the, the bad things. I'm reminded of the movie uh, Liar, Liar. We're at the very end of the movie after Jim Carrey finally gets this epiphany that he's a liar and he's doing all the terrible things and he gets a call from one of these guys and uh, it says, hey man, I just you know, did a, a terrible thing. Can you help me get out of it? And he stops, says, stop breaking the law. And then there's a word afterward I can't repeat in church. He says, stop breaking the law. And it says God is saying, listen, all of my goodness has been poured out to you and constantly stop breaking the law. Come home. God is not capricious. I think there's this there's the idea out there that God is just like a, 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 a little kid up in the sky with a holy magnifying glass trying to zap us every once, every time we get. That God is out there to cause bad things to us so that he can sit back and laugh and go, oh, that was funny. God is not like that. God is not using punishment here and, and, and judgment on Israel because he enjoys it. He's using it as a means to bring them home. Demolition and desolation are not the goal, rather. It is to churn up the hard ground so that the seeds of regrowth, spiritual health, and redemption can thrive. God is using punishment here to kind of break them up so that they can grow again. And in 14, verses 14 through 20 here, chapter 3, gives the hearer the vision of hope of what it looks like after regrowth has occurred. After the forests and, and all of the bad stuff in the desert wastelands have been churned up and rewatered and refertilized, the new growth looks like what Zephaniah brings to us. After the hard work of breaking ground is done, this is what we have. Judgment is over. Think of that. All of the hard work that God is, being put, is putting into bringing them back, that is over. So no more judgment. The process is complete. Enemies within and without are dealt with. It's a time of receiving God's celebration. I love what it says here that, that the Lord is in your midst and he is rejoicing over you. He's singing and he's shouting and he's rejoicing and he's exalting. This is a time for praise and worship and joy and dancing and singing. He's saying, I am with you. It's a time of Emmanuel. It is Adonai in our midst. It is a time of rebirth, removal of shame, mourning into dancing, restoration and fortune, and a new name. Here's something I noticed though. If the prodigal son, if the prodigal son uh, a parable had a backstory, it would be Zephaniah. I want you to think for a moment, the words that we read this morning, and think of them as the words that the father in that story spoke into the ear of his returning prodigal. That when he he runs out and tackles him on the road home and he gets him onto the ground and and, and he hugs him and he whispers into his ear, fear not, I am with you. I rejoice over you. I have a party planned for you. I have a new name and with no shame. I have a new, a, a new creation that you have become. You are out of judgment no longer. I have brought you in and I'm gathering you to myself and I am going to make you renowned and restore your fortunes. Listen, this is what God whispers to those who come home in their ear. The prodigal son parable had it behind the scenes. This prophecy, this word in Zephaniah is it. So what is God calling us to? How does this relate to us? Because if I said, as I said earlier, this particular passage or this particular uh, prophecy is meant for Judah. But God allowed it to be written so that we can take something from it as well. I think the point is that God is calling us to trust in the vision he's given us. These words here are for us. They are meant to give us hope. They are meant to give us a, a reason to make it to the next day. They are a reason to hope that God is going to make all things new. This is Advent. This is the third week of Advent. We are in a season of expectation and hope. These words give us the end game. These words give us what God is going to be bringing to us, those of us that are in God's home already, those of us that are far off. This is the hope. Because we all, free, all long to be free from God's discipline. Nobody enjoys it. Our kids don't enjoy it or, or, or when we um, uh, have to punish them for any particular reason. We don't enjoy it when we find ourselves on the other end of the stick. Of, uh, uh, and, and yet, we don't like walking home either. There's a, a repentance road that we all have to walk. There's the Psalm 51 of, uh, I have sinned against you and you alone, Lord. I have done what is, unho- what is unrighteous in your sight. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow, he says. We don't like that. We don't like being under discipline, and we certainly don't admit it when we're wrong. We all long to be free from that, and these words this this morning give us hope that there is a place and a time and a, a, a community and, um, uh, with God where that doesn't exist anymore. No one likes the idea that God might even allow us to walk away from him into personal disaster, but that's what he allows sometimes when we look at the prodigal son father he didn't resist his son's resist his son's uh, moving on, but he also expected him to return. And the results of the son's rejection of the father ended up in the, in the son's demolition. But at the same time, God was waiting and pursuing and allowing him to come home. And while he uses those times of discipline, and divine means to drive that man back to him, he does the same to us. When we look at Hebrews 12, 5 and 6, which is quoting Proverbs 3, 11 and 12, it says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son slash or daughter he receives. See, God is merciful and he will receive us uh, when we come home. And we all long for the day when we don't have to do that anymore. But until the day of the Lord, until then, we are going to live in a cycle of God's reformation process. See, our lives are a mixed bag uh, of soils described in Jesus's parable. Some good, some rocky, and some sun hard. Each one of us carries in our bodies stuff that's been redeemed, stuff that's on the way to be redeemed, and stuff we don't want God to touch. Teresa of Avila says that there are these mansions or these rooms in our closets in our lives that we have not yet let God into to cleanse out and to remake. So until we do... We're gonna be a mixed bag of, of humanity. But God is always working in us to break up the hardness of our hearts. Every bit. Uh and, and also nurture the good stuff as well. See, God is not any not a hard taskmaster, uh uh, at the expense of being merciful. He's both at the same time. He's both loving and caring. He cares for the small little, you know, herb garden of righteousness that's growing inside of your heart. But he's also interested in breaking up the the, the terribly uh, dry and desolate soil that used to grow good stuff that's out there that you're not willing for him to touch. He's like, listen, I'm going to do both. If God can can create the heavens and the earth with a a word. And I think he's capable of of walking and chewing gum at the same time. And he's always going to be, uh, for us, it might feel like he's pulling teeth to get our love straight. And other times he's celebrating over the tiny little blade of grass that came up where it didn't come up before. He's doing both because he's learning or he's working with us because he's in our midst because of Jesus. We must learn how to flow with him and let him do his work in us and respond appropriately. The, the Christian life is not meant to be just a, I did bad stuff, so I'm not going to, uh, so uh, uh, I'm going to constantly repent. It's more of like, how do I join myself to what God's doing and allow him to work and flow within me? And then therefore he kind of just gently moves me in the directions I need to go so that I become a much more fruitful and better human. But whether we're on the road to, uh, or under God's discipline, or we're on the repentance road, or uh, we're struggling back and forth, the most important thing is what we read this morning, that God never stops loving you. He never stops loving me. He never stops investing in your ultimate transformation. He is not done, and nor will he ever be done. Like we said last week, what God has done or has started, he will finish, he will not leave you like an unfinished garden project. He will not leave the, uh, the basement undone. But he's constantly moving in such a way to reform you completely. Because if we read what these words are and we believe them wholly, it means that God wants to be with you. He wants to bring you in. He wants to celebrate and rejoice over you. Think of that for a moment. The God of the universe gets all tickled when you come and, and spend time with him. When you're on that road, he gets all excited and singing. You know, I had a, 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 a Jen's dad had a good friend named Ernie, uh, and who I, I love. Uh, he's just such a cool dude. And whenever we'd go play golf with Ernie, uh, whenever Ernie would uh, hit a bad shot, he'd sing a hymn instead of <laughs> instead of swearing. He he would just be like, Amazing Grace. <laughs> When I think of Ernie, I think of God singing over us. When we make a bad, unforced error, God is in our midst and inside with us. And instead of you know con- condemnation, God is singing. I am so good. You know, <laughs> you know, He's just like, it's okay. I got this. I got this. You blew it. We're good. I, I love you. Let's fix this. He's singing over you. You know, maybe it's Uptown Funk, I don't know. But it's really uh, just the idea that God himself is celebrating you. Because he wants to be our protector, our confidence, our shelter. The one we run to in times of trouble. The one we hide under uh, when the storms of life are raging. The one we run to when we said, oh, I've really blown it this time. And he's like, I got you. God wants to save the lost and heal the lame and value the shamed and change our names and restore what's been lost to our own problems that we've created and the ones that have been created for us. He never stops pursuing us. He never stops gathering us to himself. He never stops pining for the lost ones on the road home. If God invested so much time and energy to bring wayward Judah back through the words of Zephaniah, how how will he not do the same thing for us through Jesus Christ? who in us is making all things new and has removed the dividing wall between us and God. So, how should we respond? It is oftentimes that we find ourselves in a time of discipline or desolation or demolition. The human experience that we all endure are oftentimes of great restoration and and blessing, but then we find ourselves in places of desolation. We find ourselves in places where we've hit the wall, either because of something done to us or something we've done against God. So maybe we ought to ask ourselves this question, where am I with God? Is my desolation because I've walked away from him? I've walked away from his love. I've walked away from from his care. I've said I've given God the proverbial finger and said, nope, I'm sorry, you're out of here, I don't love you anymore, give me my inheritance, I'm out. Have I forsaken him to do my own thing? Now, let me just say this, not all times of desolation and not all times of demolition are because of our own spiritual health. Sometimes stuff just happens, and I don't know why. I don't know why natural disasters occur sometimes, but it's probably not because of something you did. I remember there was that old Jack Handy, terrible, terrible quote where he said, it's always interesting when uh, that, or, when a, somebody, a kid once asked me, why, is it, why uh, is it raining? And I said, because God is crying. And he says, why is God crying? And the guy says, probably because of something you did. <laughs> That's not how this works. Bad stuff happens. And it's not necessarily because of something you did. But there are times when God allows for us to be disciplined for our wandering away from him. So we ought to just stop and pause and reflect. Where am I? Where am I with God? And if you are on the road home or you're in God's home, with Him already. You haven't you haven't walked away from it. You've remained faithful. Here's what I would say to you, whether you're in the process of repentance or you're already in God's party, receive God's joy over you. When you wake up in the morning, God is not like, I hope you don't blow it. Rather, God is saying, isn't this a great day? I caused the sun to shine on the earth again. I, I caused it. So no black holes are swallowing us up. I caused the flowers to spring up in a symphony. When we go hiking every once in a while, there's these little purple trumpet flowers. And when it's in the worst time of the hike, the Uggs, we call it, and we're walking along the, the trail, we see these little purple flowers. And I always tell said they're like, they're trumpeting us on, going, You can do it. And I think oftentimes that's what God is saying to us. Good morning, loved. Good morning, beloved. Today is the day I have made. Hope you see flowers in beauty, and beauty. I hope you feel loved. I hope you endure. I hope you receive in you the joy that I am giving you. I'm joying over you. Receive that. And that's really hard sometimes because we're very cynical. We're very protective of our hearts. But God is in heaven and in your midst, and he's with us through his spirit. And though he's clear-eyed about our own stuff and what we've done, he yet sings over you and says, I'm so glad you're mine like parents who, who see their kids' sins and their foibles and say, I'm so glad you're here at dinner with me. That is how God treats you and I. And he welcomes us with joy and gladness and welcome. And lastly, I would say this. Take these words that Zephaniah prophesied uh, to Judah and then receive them as your own because they are God's vision for you Both now and in the future. And as we walk the road of life together towards resurrection, receive who God says you are. You are beloved. You are loved. You are His. You are never out of His hand. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. God says, You are mine. You are my child. Receive who God is making you. God is transforming you into the perfect human that he has for you. Not in my image and not in, in the one you think of, but in the image of Jesus. God is making you into a person who looks, acts, and feels just like Jesus did. Receive your restoration made possible by Jesus. So, your mission. Should you choose to accept it, read the prodigal Son story this week. I think we all love Christmas movies, especially ones that had that redemptive ending. Where the wayward son or daughter comes home, where the, the person who's blown it completely is received into the family. I think of the movie The Family Stone, who the Sarah Jessica Parker character just does everything wrong, completely wrong. But in the end, her story is redeemed. Now, she went through some bad stuff to get to it. I invite you to, that's an interesting Christmas movie. Nevertheless, read the prodigal son's story this week. And pay attention to the imagined words of the father might have whispered to the son. And then read the words of Zephaniah three fourteen through 20. And imagine that those are the ones that he said. Make that your story. Amen.